Hey, what's up? This is Corey Dion Lewis, clinical health coach and host of the Healthy Project podcast. Now, the research shows that social determinants can have a greater impact on your health more than healthcare or lifestyle choices. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss how to improve health and reduce health inequity by speaking to healthcare professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast, give it a review. Or you can also make a donation to The Healthy Project using the link in the description. It takes 30 seconds and it's super easy. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Now let's get started. Thank you for listening to The Healthy Project Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Dion Lewis. Uh, man, I got a great uh, guest in the building. Samuel, I've been following on LinkedIn for a while. Um, listening to you know, your, your weekly, I forgot what you call them, but you're giving bars every week on LinkedIn, um, true pedigree. Uh, thank you so much for being with me today. I truly appreciate it. Hey, Corey, how you doing, man? And thank, thank you for having me. And I, I appreciate your support as well. In the, uh, I think the weekly segment you're talking about is my Tuesdays with true. Yes. Segment. Tuesday. <laughs> and I, 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 in all seriousness, I appreciate the support. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, before we get into you know, our conversation today, can you tell the people a little bit about yourself and what gets you up in the morning? Yeah, absolutely. Name is True Pettigrew. I've been married 21 years to my beautiful wife, Tamika. We have an 11-year-old son, my young prince. His name is Austin. And in addition to them getting me up in the morning and my, my faith getting me up in the morning, Man, I am focused on building bridges and knowing that every day that I get up, there are still so many more bridges to be built. And that's what gets me up in the morning. That's what keeps me keeps me going, gets me excited, is knowing that um, I'm going to have the opportunity to build some bridges each and every day to impact people's lives. No, that's real. And we're talking about, and we're talking about those bridges that you want to build to impact lives. You know, what does that look like in your day to day? What are those bridges that you're seeing that need that need built? Well, the bridges that I'm building is it's it's not physical, right? I think you know that, right? right? It's building bridges that help <laughs> our members of society connect across differences, right? And I think we all see and realize how divided this nation is, how divided this world is. And well, honestly, what started off when I first recognized my, my, my calling and my purpose to be a bridge builder, I thought it was going to focus on building bridges across generational divides, right? And just helping people. I mean, it was during that time when everybody was confused about millennials, like they were aliens, like, oh, what are we going to do with this millennial generation, right? Right. And um, I spent a lot of time, energy, and effort helping people understand how to build bridges across the generational divides, whether that was baby boomers, millennials, Gen Z, and so forth. And I, I tell you, man, when Mike Brown got shot and killed in Ferguson in 2014, it opened my eyes that bridge building is needed across all aspects. And a lot of my work then became about building bridges across racial divides, as well as generational divides but relational divides of any kind. And so a lot of it is through facilitated dialogue and workshops to help educate people's ignorance about people that are different than them, to help them build empathy and understanding and realize that we don't always have to agree, but 
just simply understand why someone else sees things the way that they do. And that's how we can develop the, the necessary levels of empathy to, to build those bridges. Right. So in a way, you're not building the bridge. You are the bridge. You're the one. In a, in a way, you're, whole, you're the bridge saying, hey, come walk through me so we, so we can get to a common ground here we can, and we can do something together. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because uh, you're 100%, right? You know, and we're <laughs> encouraging other people to understand how to build bridges. But the reality is, Corey, sometimes you are the bridge. As a bridge builder, you're required to be mm -hmm. the bridge. And the one thing I learned about this bridge building work, and this is not to be discouraging, it is just to manage people's expectations. Because I think we all can be bridge builders. We all have the ability and the capacity to be bridge builders. But in those moments when you are called to be the bridge, just remember that bridges often uh, get walked on, right? Mm, it's just so right. You, you have to, uh, I, I read a quote one day that says, those of us that are strong are here to bear the infirmities of the weak. So we have to be willing mm. to, you know, keep others lifted up. And the thing is interesting about bridges, right? When you see a bridge, they're typically elevated. And it's not that they're elevated so that we can look down upon others. Like bridges are elevated so that we can have a greater perspective and vantage point to see what the real needs, challenges, and issues are in an effort to look at the right pathways to help elevate the lives of others to get to that bridge. Wow, that's true. When you, when you are... When you're building that bridge and you're and you're seeing right, you're seeing the the injustices that you saw that that kind of sparked your your interest or your um your want to build that bridge. Walk me through that feeling because it's one thing to see it; it's another thing to see it and then want to do it. <laughs> and, and walk me through that feeling. What was um what kept you going forward to want to see that see the change uh if it was it was really selfish to to in the beginning if i'm being completely transparent right and honest mm. uh i guess in a phrase i would say a father's love because my son at the time of the incident in ferguson my son austin was two years old at the time and we were living in a predominantly white affluent town in north carolina and I had had bad experiences with law enforcement myself growing up. I'm originally from Baltimore, lived in LA, and I was on the receiving end of excessive force by police. I felt the, 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 the sting of those injustices by law enforcement firsthand. And when Mike Brown was shot and killed in Ferguson, it, it triggered some unresolved trauma that I had. I was fine navigating my life for myself. I just avoided police, didn't like them, didn't trust them. Mm -hmm. uh, but when I had my son, that no longer could be an approach that I took. And I got it. I mean, I, I tell you, Corey, I was struggling with how I could protect my son from the injustices that I was seeing happen seemingly daily in the news mm -hmm. with right. black men being shot and killed by law enforcement. And man, it, it, it hurt me in a way that like as a, as a father, as a dad, to feel a sense of, of helplessness and how you can protect your son from potential harm, that is a devastating feeling. And so my love for my son is what compelled me 
to one day walk through the doors and the town I was living in, it was Cary, North Carolina, that compelled me to walk through the doors of the Cary PD one day with the hopes of establishing a relationship that could, you know, potentially save my son's life. And so that was wow. the feeling. That was the, the feeling of yeah. hopelessness, hopelessness and fear that right. it to save my son's life. Right. It started with something selfish because you want to protect your blood. Man, I got your, he has your last name. And now it's grown into you being in this this equity space, doing this equity work on um, a bigger scale doing and doing more um, to continue to continue to protect your son. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> to do that. But, but now you're doing it for for more people it sounds like now it's not as selfish but in case some of that's still there but it's not as selfish started. it started you know it started selfishly i will admit that mm-hmm. right uh, the desire to protect my son and then as i leaned into it i realized wow my son isn't the only child from this next generation who needs protecting and i realized it was for a cause bigger than me that's how it started but that's where right. it is now. Um, I now do it for the greater good with the recognition that my son is a part of that group that's going to benefit from these efforts, from establishing equity and, and inclusion and social justice. Yeah. You know, I feel like everybody's, everybody's journey starts differently. Everybody has their own equity story. What does equity, with how your equity journey started into this work, what does equity mean to you? Like, What is your definition of equity? Well, equity by definition is fair and impartial treatment. That's if you look it up, Mm -hmm. the definition of equity. For me, in doing this work, it is really giving people what they need to succeed. Essentially meeting people where they are because we're all at different places on our journey and we all need different things, right? right? I think people oftentimes confuse equality and equity and equality is treating everyone the same. And there's some merits in that, right? There are absolutely some merits in that. The challenge in that though, is we don't all need the same thing. Man, if you were like a, a 6'4", 260 pound guy that could lift three or four boxes at a time to take them from point A to point B, and then I had a, you know, 120 pound or five foot three, 120 pound person that just did not have the same physical strength right. as you to be able to do that. You know, you need different resources and tools to be successful. He has the aptitude, understanding and capacity how to get these items from point A to point B, but the to expect him to do it at the same rate as you. Yeah, I need you to pick up your boxes, bro. <laughs> that sounds crazy. I'm like, okay, bro, just take one box at a time. Or here, take this 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 uh this cart and use this cart. Yeah. This dolly, right? And if I'm speaking to someone who speaks English as a second language, it's not that they don't have the capacity to process, comprehend, and understand to get the job done. But I may have to speak to them just with a, a, a little in, in, in a much more measured way because they don't understand all of the slang terms, all of the nuances, 
all of the idiosms that may come, uh, you know, with how I'm accustomed to speaking to you, right? Right. And so it's just going to require me to be more more measured in the way that I speak to someone that has English as a second language, right? And so right. that is equity, making sure we are giving people what they need to succeed and a willingness to meet them where they are. Right. Uh, I, I, I love that. And I feel like... I feel like there needs to be, um, and I would love your opinion on this. There needs to be a humbleness from that guy that can can carry three boxes at a time. Because I feel like in in our in our culture right now, that guy that can carry the three boxes is looking down at that that five foot man. Like, why can't you carry three boxes? They're not looking at everything else. Yeah. And I think there needs to be a humbleness of. Like I, I know, I know I can carry, or I know my privilege, right? <laughs> I, I know my privilege, and mm-hmm. if someone needs a dowry or a forklift, it is what it is. It, it is what it is, man. And isn't it amazing that we think just because we have the ability to do something that someone else should have that same ability to do so? That, that right. amazes me, right? Uh, but that's just not the reality of the world that we live in. You know, and I mm-hmm. agree that humility is an, an a necessary tool of the bridge builder, right? To maintain some level of humility. That's why, as I gave you the example of the bridges being elevated, you it's not so that you can look down upon others, right? One of my favorite definitions of humility is it's it's not thinking less of yourself, and I think people think that's what it requires. It's right. thinking of yourself less, right? I should be more about others and those around me and how I can contribute and add value to their lives and help elevate their lives versus thinking about myself, making it all, all about me. So humility is definitely a, a a much needed attribute and, and tool in that toolbox to be an effective bridge builder. And no, absolutely. Leaving people where they are, right? When we talk about that, and you brought up a good point, you know, when you say, hey, why can't you carry three boxes? I think people hear that phrase and some people even think they are applying that principle to their lives. But what they're really doing is they're willing to meet people where they think those people should be. But they're willing to meet people where they mm-hmm. want those people to be. But they're not willing to meet them where they are. And until we do that, it's going to be hard to be uh, an effective bridge builder. Right, and that takes some taking a step back to to see that, um, with all these uh, with all the injustices going on, uh, sport or sports was a huge um, part of this as far as like getting getting the word out or doing you know being a part of the the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, you working you know with with professional uh, athletes in professional teams. What what is your thought on that role that the athlete had in um, combating these dis, uh, injustices and equity? And I applaud them in, in all seriousness because when I think of sports as as a platform, I think of sports and music, right? That kind of pair them together in this regard, where they are so influential and they are influential on a universal level, where they bring people from all walks of life together to cheer and celebrate and advocate for the same 
thing, right? Right. And so it has the ability to bring people together. So I applaud these athletes for using their platform in such a responsible way because they have so much reach, so much influence, and they, they're able to have so much impression on so many lives. And to be willing to use their platform for the greater good to achieve social justice and step into their greatness off the court or off the field, man, that that's commendable at the highest levels to me because it comes with some resistance and it comes with some backlash and we've heard it like j- just shut up and mm-hmm. right. That's, yep. you know, we, we, we've heard it, we've seen it. But the thing that I, when I think about greatness, just by definition, it's accomplishments and achievements above and beyond what is considered normal. And so when you're doing something that is not considered normal, a lot of people aren't going to understand it or comprehend it initially because most people are accustomed to what's normal, right? And if this is achievements above and beyond what is normal, we should expect resistance and pushback, right? Now, we look at Dr. King. At the time when Dr. King was doing all the great things he was doing, he was getting tremendous resistance and pushback. And a lot of it from black people because they couldn't see and understand and comprehend uh, what he was looking to to accomplish because it, was, it wasn't normal. Right. <laughs> right. It's, it's almost like when I, when I look at how, how athletes or how MLK approached social injustices, you almost just have to take that leap of faith and know that you're on the right side of history. In a way, you know what I mean. Like, regardless of what somebody's saying to you, you know what you're doing is 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 right. And also understanding the backlash, because you think of athletes, there's a lot of money out there that they're either going to lose or going, and and not playing a role. I don't care what everybody says. That that check, absolutely, (laughs) absolutely, right. So choosing what's important to you. You know, I mean, it's it's a big deal. Yeah, and not allowing yourself to become a victim to to the money. And I think I believe if we can get in the right mindset and in heart condition to have a desire to give that exceeds our expectation to receive, so many of us would be so much more impactful in in in, a, mm-hmm. in attacking social justice. But I think Absolutely. too often we get caught up in what we're going to lose. And I think we're taught that, though. Right, Corey? I think we're taught. Think about the, the the messages and lessons we hear when we're growing up. Get as much as you can out of this world while you're here. Get as much as you can out of this world before you leave. I, I personally think, and for anyone who's ever shared that message with others, um, you know, I, I, I hear you, but I, I respectfully disagree. I think the message should be, contribute as much as you can to this world before you leave instead of getting as much as you can from this world before you leave. Mm, no, that's real. I like that. I like that a lot. And that leads into my next question. It is something that you and I spoke about um, a while back when I, I originally reached out to you is that's the kind of the, the education and, and equity. Right. So as a health equity guy and understanding that 
health equity and equity are there may be intersections or correlations, but they're totally different. Right. Um, what is how does equity in education? How what role does that play in the overall scheme of health equity? And um, what do you think we can do to improve that? Yeah, so when I think about inequities in education, we see it all across the country, and it's worse in some parts of the country than it is in others. But I, I, I go back to uh, the time of integration, right? Brown versus the Board of Education. And on its surface, a beautiful thing, right? We want to integrate. Right. Right. And, and I get it. But I think there are some unintended consequences that were born out of that if we aren't looking at things through an equity lens. And I always encourage people to look at everything through an equity lens. Ask yourself the equity question when you are about to make a decision that's going to impact other people's lives. And that equity question is, is the decision that I am about to make going to benefit any specific people group above and beyond another? Or is it going to create more challenges for any specific people group? you know, uh, you know, in disparity against another one, right? Just ask yourself that question, right. right? And then if the answer is yes, either way, then don't do it. You know, go back to the drawing board, rethink the plan. But I think a part of why we're still experiencing inequities in education uh, has to do with not looking at the Brown versus Board of Education through an equity lens. And this is what I mean. So when we had segregation, schools in the black communities were thriving. The edge, you know, the because the teachers were black, the students were black, and it was predominantly black male teachers who were taking the responsibility for educating our communities, educating our next generation. When schools were integrated, you didn't need both sets of teachers anymore. And the majority of the teachers in the white schools were white women. And so when schools integrated, who do you think lost their jobs? Mm -hmm. The black male teachers, which is why we have black male teachers to this day representing one percent of the teaching population. And so the correlation there, because no one looked at it through an equity lens, how was this going to what are the unintended consequences of integrating schools? All of these black men lost their jobs. Now you have these black students in these white environments or at least with white teachers struggling with imposter syndrome, dealing with racism and discrimination and microaggressions on a daily basis, stereotype, real stereotype, and even stereotype threat with no one caring to help them understand how to navigate or cope with that. And so they then begin to fall victim to the, 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 the narratives that were already in the, the, the minds of a, a lot of these white female teachers, not all, but a lot, right? And so now the biases kick in. And mm. Then if I'm assuming that you're going to be unruly and disruptive, and you're a kid, right? All the kids are unruly and disruptive. <laughs> right. But if I see true behave a certain way, it then becomes a self-fulfilled prophecy and I'm putting true out of class. I'm suspending true and I'm expelling true. But true is not doing anything different than his white counterparts. But it's that unconscious bias and that self-fulfilled prophecy that then plays itself out in how that white female teacher is viewing me because there's lack of rele relevance, right, and, and, and resonance 
from a cultural standpoint. And, you know, she's dealing with her own biases. And when that is happening at such an alarming rate, black males are being suspended and expelled nationally at a rate 4.1 times greater than their counterparts. So now if I'm not in school, statistics show that that increases the likelihood of me ending up in the judicial system because I may have a negative interaction with law enforcement uh, because now I am being in places and doing things I probably shouldn't do, allow myself to get into some sort of mischief. Right. And then if, right, you know, if, if I'm not furthering my education, now it gets into what are my pathways to opportunities because I don't have an education. And if I'm already feeling a sense of discomfort and imposter syndrome when I'm in school, once I get out of school, my motivation to go back isn't great. Right. Because it's, and I tell people all the time, it's like taking a picture. It's hard to get excited about a picture that you don't see yourself in. So when these black males don't see black male teachers, right, it's it's hard to get excited about that. Right. And, and it sounds like there's so much, there's so much discrimination. It's like, who wants to be the first one to jump? Right. <laughs> you know, why would I want to? So what, what is that? What's the solution? You know, if we, if we feel like, you know, we can improve the education of um, our, our kids that need to see themselves in the school, you know, see themselves in their teacher. Um, what's the first step? Like, what do what what should we do? I think the a concerted effort about in, including preparing, uh, equipping, preparing, and placing more black male teachers into our school systems. I think that's one of the first steps that we can do that we can take. One of the first steps that we can take is programs that are intentionally and deliberately preparing, educating, training, placing and retaining black male teachers in, in our school system. Right. And then making mm-hmm. sure that we're looking at the disparities and inequities of suspensions and expulsions of black male students. Right. And really understanding what are the drivers behind that and holding educators and school systems accountable for addressing those disparities, the drivers behind those disparities and, and inequities. The data. No, I don't that. Mm-hmm. So, so, sorry, I didn't hear that last part. The data is there. So it's not, it's not like it's not happening, but we're right. exploring the, the cause of it. Right. Right. You know, before I get you out of here, true. You know, um, what keeps you? What keeps you busy? I, I I know that you were you were in these DEI streets, right? Heavy, but but you know, tell me, you know, what what keeps you going? You know, what what are some of the things that you're working on and you're trying to achieve in your current role? Yeah, it's really addressing a lot of the disparities and inequities that exist in the the state of Minnesota across the country, but with a focus on the state of Minnesota right now. The state of Minnesota uh, ranks among the worst when it comes to disparities in health outcomes, right? In your your area of expertise, uh, when it comes to uh, incarceration rates, when it comes to education, and when it comes to home ownership, right? And when it comes to household income. Minnesota ranks among the worst in the country. And for a state to be as wealthy as the state of Minnesota is, 
that does not have to be the case. Right. Those are some things that I'm working on is ways that we can hold leaders, policymakers, decision makers um, at every level in our government, in our education system, in our uh, law enforcement institutions, in our financial institutions, in our healthcare institutions, holding them accountable for closing that racial disparity gap. I think that that's the key word in all of this. I, I'm gonna go back to an, that first analogy about the boxes, right? The first of all, the holding these institutions that I feel like have the power to make a lot of change accountable, and and I feel like there there are policies that are, that were put in place by the people who can carry the most boxes, and they're like, I don't know why you can't carry boxes, right? Yeah. Like, like it's like they're oblivious to like you made it matter of fact you gave me four boxes and put some red time in drugs <laughs> right, <laughs> right. How about that <laughs> what and um i know it's i know you know i know it's a tricky game you know i i understand that but what how do we get them to to how do we hold them accountable and how do we get them to say you know what we're wrong and we need to make some changes because I don't feel like that's happening a lot, especially from the policy perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is really having some real conversation and recognizing that those who have no interest or desire into achieving equity, we have to leverage our voice and uh, whatever influence, political influence we have as voters, right? To remove them from mm-hmm. us for those that just have no desire to achieve equity. We, we can't allow them to continue to be in positions of power. I think the um, most dangerous thing about people in positions of power is when we continue to vote in a way that keeps them in positions of power, right? When someone shows you who, who they are, believe them. and mm-hmm. But then engaging in some some difficult but critical conversations around how to achieve equity. Because I believe there are a lot of people in positions of power and people of privilege who are open to the conversation, but they just don't haven't exercised the empathy muscles to understand what to do because we haven't had the conversation. I can't expect you to know my story if I don't tell you my story. Right? So Right. That the three forms of empathy are cognitive empathy, which says, oh, wow, I understand why you think that way. Emotional empathy says, oh, wow, I understand why you feel that way. And then compassionate empathy is the one that compels us to take some action to address the inequities that exist based on the power and privilege that I have. But until you tell me your story, I don't have that aha moment. Oh, wow, Corey, had I been raised the way that you were, wow, I, I would probably think the, the same way as you. I would probably feel the same way as you. How can I help change the circumstances that you find yourself in, right? And as Brene Brown says, mm-hmm. and I love this, you know, um, avoid the comparative suffering, right? And you used the word privilege earlier, and I had a conversation around privilege with some folks um, not that not that long ago, and I found myself reminding them that, because it's a trigger word for a lot of folks, right? When you use the word privilege, you know, particularly if you're talking about white privilege or male privilege or status privilege, right? And 
Right. Having privilege does not mean that you have not experienced any struggles or obstacles in life. It just means that your form of privilege was not one of them. So if we're talking about white privilege, that doesn't mean you haven't had struggles or challenges or obstacles in life. That just means the color of your skin was not one of them. When we talk about white privilege, that doesn't mean you and I haven't had any challenges or struggles or obstacles in life. In a lot of situations, our gender just was not one of them. Right? So when we hear Right. Let's realize that it doesn't mean that we haven't had any suffering because what people are quick to do. Oh, my gosh. Like you, I've had to go through this. I had to do this. I had to do this. And so we get into this trap of comparative suffering and that doesn't help anyone. Like as as is, you know, we, we hear the phrase all the time, you know, listen to understand, not listen to reply. But I would also say, you know, listen to, to understand. Don't listen to compare. Right. Yeah. Your your struggles are what they are. And I'm not taking that away. That's real. But that doesn't mean I haven't had some, too. Right. Yeah. I feel like we do a lot more listening to compare than anything these days. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That's real. That's real. Well, true. You know, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I really appreciate this conversation Uh, for those that are listening. Or, or watching that want to learn more about you um, and see, you know, check and see what you're do, up to. Uh, where can they reach you at? Uh, they can reach me. Um, I'm on LinkedIn under True Pettigrew. And True is T R U. Pettigrew is P E T T I G R E W. They can also find me on Instagram at True Access, T R U A C C E S S. And, uh, What's the uh, Facebook is True Pettigrew and Twitter is True Access. Awesome. And I'll make sure I uh, link all these in the description of this episode just to make it easier if those want to go to the description. Uh, but again, True, thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, and everybody, thank you for listening to the Healthy Project podcast. I'll let you next time. All right. Thank you.